listening to Three Makes Baby, a podcast about fertility, family, and genetics. I'm Jana Rupnow, a fertility counselor and author of Three Makes Baby. Welcome to the show. Today, you are going to hear from somebody that is doing a 30-day challenge. It's not a challenge to lose weight. Nope. It's not a challenge to start a plant-based diet or to get in shape. This is a challenge to find her genetic donor. Today, you're going to hear from a young lady in the UK. She's going to tell you her story, and maybe you'll be the one that helps connect her to her donor. I'm Nikita. I'm 22, and I'm from Birmingham in the UK. I've been raised by a single mom who went down the sperm donor route, and I've been trying to locate my donor for about the past four or five years. Wow. Um, but I haven't had any luck as of yet. <laughs> Four or five years. And yeah. <laughs> so you've been trying to look for your donor and you, um, I assume that it was anonymous. And so you don't have, you have very little information about your donor. Yeah. So it was anonymous. I was born in 1997. So in the UK, then all donors were anonymous and they only took sort of basic information. But mm-hmm. From 2005 onwards, it changed so that anyone who donates now in the UK, the children will get the identifying information at 18, but anybody before that time can still only get non-identifying, which is what I have. Oh, so you're you're not in that cutoff that's included? No. So you can't get the information? No, I just have some basic um, non-identifying things about him. Okay. And have you tried genetic testing and that hasn't found hasn't come up with any answers um so i dna tested with ancestry and 23andme Mm -hmm. i haven't really had many close matches i had a third cousin match who i think is from a donor's side um but he doesn't really have a very big family tree to work with so it's been quite difficult um i've tried to trace it back with that but i haven't had any luck Okay. Um, I've sort of been hoping that like a half sibling or a closer relative would pop up, but I haven't had anything. Yeah. 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 And so when you started searching, you know, several years ago, what, what, tell me a little bit about your process and, and what made you decide to search and up to, you know, and how you were feeling up to that point? I think I started when I was 18 because I thought you could only access the non-identifying info at um, 18, but I think it's 16. So just when I got to that age, I thought I wanted to find out a little bit more. So I applied to the HFEA, which is an organisation that they store all like the non-identifying donor information and you can apply for that at 16. And then I obviously received that through the post and I think just finding a bit out about him um, sort of set me off to wanting to find out more. And then that's when I turned to DNA testing and tried to continue on from that. Yeah. And so the HFEA is an organization in the UK that, that stores all of the demographic and contact information of donors that are, are basically used through fertility clinics or through the, the national health system. Is that correct? Yeah, and they just obviously store everything, but they can't obviously give away identifying details. And who are, do you know who they're regulated by or governed by? Um, no, I'm not too sure. Okay. Um, they were only set up, I think, in the 90s or mm-hmm. something. So obviously before that, um, no information was really documented. Um, so there are some people, I think it was pre-91, 
mm-hmm. they don't have anything on the donors so they can't access any information okay okay yeah and right now there's no appeal process for you to petition to get that information from the hfea no um i mean i've heard of people that have contacted them but obviously they can't give out anything so Mm. you're not you're not able to access anything Mm -hmm. yeah and so tell me the ways that you've gone about trying to find him so far so obviously I did the DNA testing Um, I sent out loads of messages to different people on um, the DNA sites uh, trying to work on family trees. I actually found out that I was part Cuban. Um, mm. So I joined this Cuban genealogy group on Facebook. Mm-hmm. They're really helpful with how to trace family trees. And I've had loads of information from like, relatives I've found on there oh, um, wow. to try and help That's me. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then did you also, you did a post. So tell me a little more about your social media campaign to find him. Yeah. So um, I'm at university studying fine art mm-hmm. and I based my project last year on donor conception. Oh, cool. Okay. It's something mm-hmm. like I've continued to do this year for my final year. And I'm sort of writing a dissertation on how you can think creatively and how that can help somebody find the biological family. So mm. I was looking at how I can approach the search different ways rather than just through DNA testing. Mm-hmm. So um, I sort of started this campaign through Facebook and Twitter, mm-hmm. attempting to find him within 30 days. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> so, it's like a challenge, so made, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I made these little cards um, and I gave them out to people in London, uh-huh. uh, which is where I was conceived, um, to like follow the Facebook page and so they could read my story on there. Um, I spoke to a few people, a few members of the public about it. Mm-hmm. So you probably didn't think your campaign would go all the way over, spread all the way over to the United States, did you? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of people listen to and follow um, my my profile on Instagram and then listen to this podcast that are from and in the UK. So uh, it won't just be uh, for for people in the US, but it'll be people for all, actually all over the world that listen. So you know, if, um, is it more than likely that he was a citizen of the UK or is a citizen of the UK? Um, I believe so. I don't really have much, there's nothing on my information about where he was born or anything, but I found out you have to live within a certain like radius of the, um, donation clinic. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming he must have lived in London at the time of donating. Okay. Um, so I'm not sure. And how many days are we into the campaign so far? I think about 10. 10 days. Okay, you're doing really yeah, well. 10 or 11. Because I think yeah. I found you maybe on day, it must have, I must have found you like on day one then because yeah. we went on vacation and came back and, and we had time to set this up. So, well, good. Well, I hope to get this launched within the 30-day time frame so people will be able to listen to it and maybe spread the word around yeah are there any clues or identifying information that could help that you could share that people might be able to identify you said part cuban is that on his side or would that be on your mom's side um i believe that's on his side because i've traced my mom's side quite far back um and i don't have any trace of that so i assume that's him okay so part cuban maybe um any other what other what were you told by the hfea um, I had the basic um, physical characteristics. So obviously like you had hazel eyes, dark brown hair, quite short in height. Mm-hmm. He worked as an electronic engineer. Um, he liked science and sports. 
Mm-hmm. And he was also born in 1949. So okay. he'd be 70 now, which is obviously quite an age uh, oh, yeah. for a donor, really. <laughs> yeah. Wow. He'd be 70. Yeah. Yeah. He'd be one of... Um you know, one of the very, very early donors. And back then it was, at least over here, it was very secretive. Was it also secretive there in the UK? I think so. I mean, I don't know when he would have donated, but I found out I was the first of my siblings. So that was in 997. So he probably would have been about 50 um, when he donated. So I'm assuming it might have been a little bit more spoken about then. Yeah, maybe. And yeah. he was, um, and then how many siblings or half siblings do you have? Um, I have 12, mm-hmm. donor conceived, um, but he has children of his own as well. So I'd probably have half siblings that are in their 40s, maybe 50s, which is quite her mm-hmm. range to think of because obviously yeah. I'm only 22. Yeah. And how did you find that out about him that he had, the, about your half siblings and about his biological children? Um, so I found out about the half siblings. Um, through the HFEI as well, you can join okay. um, donor sibling link, which uh, you can join to be put on a register. And then if any of my other siblings apply for information as well, my contact details are on there. But I was like the first to apply out of my ones. So my information's on there. And if anyone else does apply, they'll be able to contact me. Okay. And then I found out about his own children from the non-identifying info I have. It just says own children and he's put yes. So I'm not sure how many he has. Wow. I, it's interesting that at 50, he decided to donate. You know, a lot of times you hear about young men donating, you know, they're in college or they're medical students. Um, do you have any yeah. ideas? Did they make any notes about his, his motivation for donating? I didn't know. They only gave a little like statement he'd given, but it was just about him in general, not his reasons for donating. But it's something I often think about sort of young donors. People often say, were they donating for the money or was it just something that they just decided to do because they were so young? But I think at 50, it might have been a little bit more thought out. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not too sure. It, it's something I think about, though, the age, because it's quite an age to decide to donate. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. And to remain anonymous, because you think if maybe at 50, if he was wanting to help a family or had been touched by infertility in some way, that he would have been more open to being known who he was. Yeah. 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 So what makes you want to, to search? I know that I, you know, I certainly come from a place where I understand because, um, I was adopted when I was six weeks old. So I, I've actually searched for my birth parents. And so I definitely get it where you're coming from, but just for those listening, what, what for, for you, what was that main motivating feeling of, of wanting to know who he was? I think it's sort of a lot of questions that other people ask. So I don't really look much like my mom and I have a a half sister who's from my mom's previous marriage Mm -hmm. and she looks a lot like my mom when she was younger but people often say that they assume I must look like my um, dad and Mm -hmm. it's hard to know what to say back to that and um, as as I sort of got older more people picked up on it and Mm -hmm. because I've got quite dark features um, probably because if he was part Cuban, um, mm. people pick up on that as well. So they ask like what my ethnicity is and it's hard to say when you don't know what to tell them. Yes, um, so I true. think it was, yeah, when I was sort of getting questions from other people, that's when I thought I wanted to find out a little bit more about 
where I come from. That's true. It makes sense. You know, I think people forget and take for granted that that's such a common question that we talk about is ethnicity. Where did you get your looks from? And when you don't know, when you're someone who actually doesn't fully know that information, it is hard to answer that question. And you want to be truthful. You don't want to just make something up. I assume maybe some people don't mind doing that. But, you know, for me, I remember always, um, I knew a little bit about my ethnic background and I want, I liked sharing that. So people say, well, what are you? Oh, I'm part, you know, Irish and English. And what are you? I'm part, you know, um, German and, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. So I think that that is, again, not, not having those answers to those basic kind of almost everyday questions that can come up among your peers, your friends, you know, talk around a, a social gathering it, it can become very common small talk. And if you don't have that answer, it becomes really awkward and you feel like you're kind of, you feel different. You feel that you do, you feel different for not knowing that. Um, yeah. And so having that information, even if you don't know the person is helpful because you can at least say, yeah, one part Cuban, that's, that's where I get my dark features from. And then if they want to ask more questions and you don't feel like going into it further, you don't have to, but at least you can say, you can say that. So and then if somebody else is part Cuban, they might start sharing with you. Oh, I'm part Cuban too. And that's so cool. And you, know, <laughs> yeah. you can share things about it that maybe you, neither one of you really have a, a connection to the culture, but you still share that with each other. And that can just be kind of a bonding experience that can be fun. So yeah. So it definitely keep, makes you feel more, in, I think, included in conversations around genetics where before you yeah. feel a little bit, you, you're, coming, you're coming up empty handed and that can just feel awkward. Yeah, yeah, I definitely get that. People used to ask me where I got my curly hair and I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know for the longest time until I was like much older than I knew it was it was my birth mom's side, but up until then I didn't know. So I was always just say, I don't know. That was my answer. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so you know, yeah, it's good to know. It's good to know. Yeah. So what else? Was there anything else that you thought it would be good to to know about? Like traits like you or you know, just having someone to share the, that you share those genetics with? Is it more curiosity about those tra- those physical traits or is it there is there more that you'd like to know? Would you like to get to know him and have, a, you know, an acquaintance type relationship with him or more than that with him? Or do you maybe not know um, yet? <laughs> yeah. um, I think so. It's, it was a lot of like to do with appearance and um, sort of traits. So mm-hmm. I obviously study art, but nobody in my family really is like artistic or creative. And I was wondering if maybe that was from him or Mm -hmm. whether he ever did anything like that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So that as well. That's right. So that's neat. So you have, um, you have this artistic ability and that's unique. And it is so interesting to know if that is a genetic tendency. And if you share that, that trait with, with him, then it makes you feel like there's a little bit of that, at least for me personally, that there's a, that puzzle piece is filled in. And so it just makes more sense to Mm. who I am when, when I learned certain things about my birth family, I have an uncle who loves to, you know, a birth uncle who loves to, um, and I talk really about things and he just, you know, he kind of preaches like in a way. And Mm. I can't remember what they call it, but I, I kind of had to laugh because like, I can get that way sometimes. <laughs> you know, so I'm like, yeah. okay. See, it's not my fault. It was genetic. I can't help it. <laughs> so it gives you like a reason to say, you know, this is something that about me is it's there for a reason. And there's other people that have this too. And it can feel good. Even if you don't want a relationship with that person, it still is good to know, ah, oh, that's where it came from. Okay. 
you know, it puts all yeah. those pieces together and makes you feel like you can see the whole picture of who you are. And I'm speaking for myself, but um, I, I definitely, I definitely get that. People say, well, you know, why, why would my child want to search? Why would they do that? Or why would they, um, or I don't want them to search because I don't want them to look for a replacement parent. And I know as an adopted person, it's hard to commute. It's hard to get people to understand that, that, that most, at least in my perspective, most people aren't looking for a replacement parent at all. They're just looking for missing pieces, missing clues, um, yeah. genetic clues that make up who they are. Would you, do you agree with that? Or do you find that, I mean, because I can't speak for everybody. Everybody is different and some people are looking for a relationship and that's totally okay too. So yeah, I think it's more of um, just the not knowing about the basic things. Mm-hmm. So like one of the things um, when I put the post out on Twitter, um, I had like a lot of positive feedback, but there was a couple um, negative and one of them was saying, like, what do I expect to say to him if I found him? Do I just want a, a like a happy family stereotypical thing? Mm. But it is nothing to do with that, really. I mean, if he was open to a relationship, I'd be happy to get to know him. But it's more of just wanting to know, do we share certain traits and yeah. what's he like as a person? Mm-hmm. Like, I wouldn't expect him to play like the father role yeah which a lot of people seem to assume if we're searching that's what we're looking for but yeah it's not it's more of just filling in the missing pieces that's right and it's a role that can't be made up for uh, very easily <laughs> if at all yeah <laughs> uh, because the parenting role is something that happens as you're growing and as you're developing and as you're needing that guidance and security and care And so once you're past that point, you know, you're an adult and you don't need the parental everyday um, interactions, then no one can really make up for that. You can't go searching and find somebody and say, oh, now this, this feels like my dad. It's not going to feel like a dad, even if you wanted it to, it wouldn't because of just the nature of attachment and parenting. And so, yeah, I think that is a misconception that people don't understand that it's, it's not uh, something that you can you can find. I read this. I don't know if you've read Inheritance by Danny Shapiro. I haven't known. It's really good. I really, it's great because she recently found out she was donor conceived and she was in her fifties and mm. she writes about her whole experience and her search and finding her donor who is a doctor and you know how he wasn't open to knowing her at first. And then, you know, eventually he was, he thought about it and realized that, you know, that she would, that it was best for him to try to at least be open because she would not want to know who he is. And so, you know, it's, it's a really deep and insightful look at being donor conceived. And especially when you found it out later in life and you thought you were something entirely different. Um, but one yeah. thing that this one scene is one of my favorites and she's, she's talking and with the, the new wife of her, um, of her donor is married and he, um, she whispers something to her and says, Hey, you know, your dad, you have a good daddy or something like that. Well, she had lost her father. Her father had passed away when she was little. And she said, you know, it was such a bizarre moment because for her, she said, you know, knowing her her donor, knowing him allowed her to put the pieces of herself together in a way that would comfort her for the rest of her life, but that he was not her daddy. (laughs) And I think that's such a, a beautiful statement because it speaks to the fact that's exactly what people that are donor conceived and adopted are looking for. They're looking for pieces that bring you comfort. Just like I talked about, you said you're artistic. Ah, this is where I get it from. That brings me comfort. But that is not, that can't ever be 
your daddy, and especially the word daddy with two D's and a Y, which is, you know, used for when you're little, you're a little kid and you call them that. So that's just, yeah. So I I definitely, I see that. And I do know there might be other perspectives on the show, on the podcast that where they, they have developed a relationship and they do call them dad. And, and, you know, I want to hear from those opinions too, because everyone is different. And that's something I've learned in this is that it's so important for us to be respectful of each person's experience and how different they can be and the different needs that are there. And, mm-hmm. um, but a lot of people do say what you say is that they just want to know about those traits and those genetic connections. So, yes. well, I, I am so hopeful that this 30 day challenge will work. Um, I think that it will be really fascinating and will you include it then in your dissertation and write about the conclusion of the, of the challenge as well? Yeah. So I'm planning to document, um, like what I do on different days and, um, maybe make some artwork in response to how the search goes as well. So I'll be making some pieces. Nice. I love it. (laughs) Art has the ability for you to express things that you can't really express in words. And so I can't wait to see the pieces that come out that you produce from this, from this um, search and from this process of discovery. Really it's about self-discovery, isn't it? Yeah. 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 It is. And if you can, if parents can understand that their children are looking for self-discovery rather than a replacement parent, then I think hopefully that parents can be more supportive of, of donor conceived and adoptees that are searching for those answers is that um, they're just looking for more information to understand who they are and what their tendencies are and why they're there and kind of what to do with them and how to make sense of them. So, yeah, I mean, I've been very lucky because my mom, um, she's very supportive in me wanting to find out more and she's always asking how she can help. That's wonderful. uh, If she can help in any way. So it's really good to have her support as well. That's so wonderful. I I love hearing Mm. that because I know it's not easy on parents. It can be a very hard thing to, to understand and to, you know, just, you know, their feelings of, am I going to lose them? Or are they going to like this other adults that's better than me, you know? And so there's lots of fears there. And I certainly understand it. That's why I wrote my book around those common fears that parents have about donor conception and to try to help them understand from the child's point of view. So they can see that the less threatened you are, the closer bond you're going to have with your child, because if you're threatened, then you just, you won't be able to share this. And that's not always, a, that's not always a bad thing. I mean, that can, it can be tragic, but it, it happens, but that, you know, to not be afraid of those relationships or of those connections that, that may occur. So what, okay. So what are you thinking for you go from here? Let's imagine you do connect with him and he reaches out. Like, I know there's always the fear that I certainly had this, that if I, when I reach out to my birth, um, mom or dad that they would either a be in prison or b reject me you know and so you have this feeling of like oh rejection all over again Mm -hmm. and so a lot of crazy fears can go through a person's head when they're thinking about finding out who their birth or genetic parent is how do you feel about that do you feel you know scared do you feel a little worried or do you feel like you have a good support system around you to help you through that process should you find out who he is and he maybe says mm, i don't want to meet you or you know something along those lines yeah i mean it's a little worrying um i've seen a few responses that some donor can see people have had from their donors and some of them aren't uh, very nice like they can be a bit abrupt and just not want anything to do with them um which I think will be difficult especially after you've put so much time and you've gone through like this emotional 
journey of trying to find them and then to get that response it is obviously um, really upsetting but I think it'd be something I'd respect and I'd have to sort of learn to deal with. I hope that he would maybe want some form of contact or even just if it was like a letter response or just a photograph of him or something. If he didn't want to meet, I think I'd understand. I'd just maybe want to know what he looks like or just a little bit about him as a person uh, rather than a full relationship. If he didn't want that, then I'd learn to accept it. Yeah. Sometimes it's a process where they, at first you reach out and they may not be interested, but then after they have some time to process it and for it to sink in, that they may be more willing to contact later. It took 20 years for my birth mom and I to meet. I I knew her, we knew of each other when I was 20, but then it took 20 more years for us to actually meet in person. So she was at a time in her life where she couldn't, um, she had another set of twins and she wasn't open to meeting And so, um, or at least didn't initiate that. So it it appeared like it was not a great time for her. So yeah, so you just never know what's going to unfold. Now, given that your donor is older and age, let's hope he's in great health and, you know, he's going to be fine. And, you know, I guess there is like that terrible possibility that he's not responding because he isn't around anymore. Is that something that you worry about too? Or how do you feel, you know, have you thought about that and, and what you might do to still get information if if he is um, no longer with us? Yeah, I mean, his age is something that really shocks me. Like when I received the information through the post, I started crying because just because of his year of birth, because I expected him to be a lot younger, maybe 40s, 50s. Um, And it did worry me because I thought if it does take me years to find out who he is, then he might not be here any longer. And I just worry that if I was to find out who he was and I got in touch with his family, then they might not be able to answer the questions I do have, like his reasons for that, which is something I do want to know. So that's why I do worry about his age and why I sort of feel an urgency to yes. try and find him sooner rather than later. It's not like I can put it off for a few years because I worry that he won't be around anymore. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, you trust, you want to trust that, that urgency and that feeling because it's there in you strong for a reason. So yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I just think about when you were talking of your art too, and how, if you were to find information about him or pictures about him and, you know, stories about him, that, that your art could be a way to express that as well, you know, to the stories of him through, through your art and um, to try to paint a picture of who he is and, or if hopefully he's still here, but if he isn't, if who he was, it's kind of fascinating, really. You know, what could come of this is so fascinating. There's so many yeah. unknowns. Yeah, it's obviously my artwork now is about mm-hmm. my search and everything I'm doing. But if I do eventually find him, then I'd like to make artwork on that as well. And so it's sort of an ongoing theme that I plan to carry on with. Mm-hmm. You know, there's sometimes there are donors out there that donate. They want to, I obviously want to leave a piece of them here. And it's a way to, if they've never, if they've decided not to have children, to raise children, that it's a way for them to, to carry on their genetic identities and, you know, without yeah. having gone the traditional route of marriage and family. So, you know, he already had children, but there may be, maybe there was a sense that he wanted to have more or that he wanted to, you know, continue that on in some way, um, especially given his age. And you don't think that was a mistake on the, in the paperwork or anything like that, do you? 
Um, no, that again, that is something that I worry about um, because people often say, um, you know, it could be a mistake or they lie about their like traits or occupation. So you yeah, could sure, be yeah. following sort of the wrong information. Mm-hmm. But um, but I don't know. I mean, I'm obviously trusting the uh, mm-hmm. paperwork I have to go by. But it's hard to know because a lot of people I've spoken to say that is quite old mm-hmm. for a donor and it's like the oldest they've ever mm-hmm. known anybody donate. Um, but I, I do trust it. But it's just difficult to know whether mm-hmm. or not it's a mistake. Yeah, or whether he maybe he wanted to remain anonymous and he wrote down the wrong year, and they maybe just didn't fact check mm-hmm. and didn't ver- verify it because they weren't looking closely at those things, and for that reason, you know, that they almost wanted it to be hard to find. They wanted to keep that information more contained, so it could be that you know he even wrote that down and then. You might know it <laughs> and remember, oh, I wrote that down. Mm-hmm. So, hey, if you're out there, <laughs> but, but you know, yeah, I think <laughs> people change their minds and even a donor that wanted to be anonymous 20 years ago or more may change their mind. And life just has a way of doing that to us. You know, circumstances change. You learn more, you read more, you hear stories yeah. and you realize how important it is for people to know this information, then you might be more open to giving it out. Yeah, you know. I mean, there is a system now in the UK where you can re-register as identifiable. I think that's through the HFEA as well. So donors who are anonymous can contact them and say they want to be known now so they can leave contact details. That. And then, yeah, and then you get sent a, mm-hmm. a special code, uh, which I have. So you have to check this website mm-hmm. and look for your code number. And if that's there, it means your donor has re-registered as identifiable. But oh wow, I, that's amazing. Yeah, I checked the website a few weeks ago, but it's very uh, short numbers. So there's only probably about five donors, obviously out of these thousands that have re-registered as identifiable. But I think it's because... Only five? Yeah, it's, it's single figures. But I don't really think many donors are aware that that's a thing. Like they're not told about it. It's just something that they come across if maybe they look at the HFK yeah. again and found out that that's possible they're not really all contacted to no. say it's an option now which is a shame because I think more probably would come forward if they were all contacted that it was now a thing oh I think they would so I think let's get the word out yeah. let's get the word out because I think yeah. there's a lot of donors that would be willing to come forward now and say this is who I am knowing the importance that it is I think a lot of donors that have told me that I've interviewed over the years have told me that when they remain anonymous they don't want to interfere with the parent or the child's life. And so they actually think that they are trying to be respectful of that boundary. And so if they know that actually there are people that do want to know you for these reasons that we mentioned already on the show, that they would say, oh, okay, that's different. I'm willing to come forward then and just let it be known that that I will be known if you want me to be known. <laughs> so it still gives you the choice as the child or the adult to, to reach out if you want or not reach out. Um, I like that. I think that's great. So I'll definitely put that information out there. And yeah, I hope you'll definitely come back if, if you do find him, if he does come forward or you get inf- information, I hope you'll come back and tell us about it and keep us updated on, on what's, what's happening with you. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity as well. If you have any information about Nikita's donor, you can reach out to her at her email address, which is in the show notes. And if you were a donor and you were anonymous between August 1991 and March 31st of 2005, 
you can choose to remove your anonymity through the Human Fertilization and Embryology Authority. That's the hfea.gov.uk. If you go to their website, you will find a page where they explain how you can remove your anonymity. And there's also some support. So once you remove your anonymity, you can't undo that. So it's important to be aware of that. And you as the donor cannot contact the donor conceived person. You will just have your name on there and it's up to them to contact you if they are also interested. So I think this is a great service. If you're open to being open, then go remove your anonymity and know that somebody might be looking for you out there to get more information. The HFEA website does say that it is natural for people to be curious about people that they have genetic connections to. Do they share traits or interests? Do they look like me? It's very natural to wonder these things. And often donors want to know how the offspring are doing and if they're doing well. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, be sure to rate it, to share it, and to subscribe. Have a great day.